But mobile edge computing has been an issue in the industry for years. It's just never really taken off because I think there's always been a business case concern about it. What are the applications that, that operators can monetize and make, you know, make money out of? And it's, it's because it's such a massive shake-up and requires a lot of investment, telcos aren't going to go and do that unless they yeah, certainly yeah. can actually make something from it. So it's a kind of catch-22 situation. And Hi, this is Jamie Davis, and this is the telecoms.com podcast. This week, coming for you from Denver, where I am severely outnumbered by a lot of light reading people at the big 5G events. So just before we get into uh, the actual nitty gritty, we've got the disclaimer. If you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or on the website, don't forget you can download it through SoundCloud, iTunes, and various other podcast platforms, and vice versa. So kicking things off, Ian. Jamie, how are you doing? Yeah. Business as usual. Podcast another uh, another week, another podcast. Yeah, yeah. Another venue for it. Well, another venue. And making his podcast debut. And and debuting my American accent here, or my California <laughs> accent, dudes. <laughs> I, am, I am stoked to be on the telecoms.com yes, podcast. Yes, yeah, first one. Yeah, I, I mean, apparently you've been nagging Pierre to be on it. Oh, sorry. Should probably introduce you properly, Mitch Wagner from uh, from Light Reading. That's me. Yes, I've I've been dropping subtle hints uh, that I'd like to be on the podcast. These subtle hints have taken the form of things like I'd like to be on the podcast. <laughs> so, but they wouldn't fly you out to London to do it. No, so no, no. To, the Skype is a thing, though. You could you could see my amazingly <laughs> cluttered office and the dog, um, and it would be great. Perfect, perfect. So, what we're going to talk about this week? We're going to start off with seeing as we're at the five G events. We're going to be talking about 5G um, and then also a topic which has sort of rolled over from Barcelona as well, sort of edge computing, just playing a much more significant role. Moving on to the second topic, um, it's more about the evolution of telcos, you know, making them future-proof. And finally, it wouldn't quite be a telecoms.com podcast without talking about Huawei. So, kicking things off, um, 5G. And Edge, what are your thoughts from the first couple of days or the first day and a half of this conference? So I think setting the big picture here, this may be basic for your listeners and viewers, but um, 5G requires a lot stronger edge computing simply because A, the, the signal travels a shorter distance, at least using current wavelengths, and B, a lot of the applications require faster latency, sub five millisecond or, or whatever. So that requires telcos to bring a lot of compute and storage and such like resources out to the edge, which they are not accustomed to doing. And this is a bit of a transition for them. I think so. I think. I mean, that's one of the one of the phrases that I picked up from the uh, the keynote this morning was, um, "Does 5G need the edge? Yes. Does the edge need 5G? No, it doesn't. So it's a bit of a bit of a conundrum. Uh, yeah. So because I mean, the point was we're doing edge computing and sort of disaggregated computing on 4G networks, and we don't actually need 5G. Yeah. It makes it better. Yeah, they, they could do the edge without 5G, but um, I, mean, I talked to Vodafone about this a few weeks ago, and he said, well, you get, you get a latency reduction with the standard between the, um, so that's the, that's the bit that travels basically between the device and the, and the cell site. But the, the sort of moving infrastructure closer to, you know, to the edge of the network, taking it out of central data facilities and then moving it closer to the edge, that gives you the um, that gives you the latency reduction on the kind of on, yeah. the, on the kind of optical side, and 
and, and that's the one that requires a, the kind of architectural shift that you could do without 5G, it's just you're going to get more benefits with, with 5G. I mean, does that make it a, somewhat of a moot point? You know, we're uh, you know, looking for 5G for justification. Yeah, edge, mobile edge computing has been an issue in the industry for years, it's just never really taken off because I think there's always been a business case concern about it, what are the applications that, that operators can monetize and make, you know, make money out of. And it's, it's because it's such a massive shake-up and requires a lot of investment, telcos aren't going to go and do that unless they yeah, certainly yeah. can actually make something from it. So it's a kind of catch-22 situation. And there's a bit of momentum now with 5G, but I still think a lot of those con concerns are there. You know, we see Deutsche Telekom, uh, Canada's TELUS, who were here and were talking earlier on, trialling, you know, um, trialling new technologies and talking about investments they could make. But there's not really any sign of anything happening in a big way. I mean, Verizon's made perhaps a bigger deal of it than other people this, this week. They were talking about you know, having services out in the fourth quarter on yeah. this platform they're developing in New York, but they're not really giving a lot of details about how extensive this is going to be or what sort of applications we are going to see. Well, this is, this is, I think, one of the big issues which I see evolving is that it makes, you know, when you look at Edge, it makes the telcos think about business in a very different way because, and this is sort of where it branches into a lot of your world as well, Mitch, you know, you have to work with the cloud ecosystem a lot better than what they what the way the telcos have been working with sort of parallel industries today. I mean, I mean, what does Edge mean to you? I mean, is it? Well, it means bringing a lot of these, as I said, compute and storage out to the edge. Things that have traditionally been the domain of IT. Oh, here's a big question before you go okay. too in depth. There, how close to the customer do you actually need to be? Um, very, very close. What is the bandwidth distance? Yeah, what is of, the, edge? The, the bandwidth distance of of um, of 5G currently with millimeter array was what measured in hundreds of feet. Yeah, yeah. So that that is that is very very close. That's walking distance. Um, but of course, you do, you get into these metaphysical discussions of like, wow, man, what is the edge? Um, <laughs> That's one of the key things because yeah, the, yeah. the operators themselves don't really agree on. I mean, I did a, a, a story a few weeks ago on edge and, and talked to some operators about how many of these smaller data facilities they think they'll need, and the numbers you get are just really very very different. I mean, Vodafone UK is talking about having eight edge data centers in the UK and thinks that's going to be enough to do uh, edge-based applications and get latency down. Yeah. Whereas if you talk to people like um, Telefonica in Spain, they're talking about re-architecting really, really small kind of um, cabinets and things and potentially using some yeah. of those to do edge computing, which there is was, a totally different scale. So There was a really, really interesting presentation um, at the beginning of the conference, which seems like it was 28 days ago, but I think it was actually <laughs> two. Um, it was from... Um, AT&T and Bell Canada. And they were just talking about a lot of the physical constraints. So when you're talking about the edge, you're talking about, in this context, in this discussion, the central office and also the cell tower. Yes, yes. And you're dealing with trying to move IT technology out there when you're dealing with different rack sizes, you're dealing with different power supplies, you're dealing with HVAC units, air conditioning and heating requirements are different. These are very, very mundane considerations that can be showstoppers unless they are resolved. I mean, that, I mean, that is, I mean, fundamentally the bit of what we were talking about yesterday when you were actually talking about the, the, the split of investments for 5G and, you know, the radio, just purely because there's so many sites, there's so many other factors that you have to uh, consider when you're looking at RAN, the, you know, the, the, the cell towers, it's just so expensive. I mean, 
is that is that what is holding them back for for well the the development of the edge because at the moment it doesn't seem it's although we've been talking about it for years it still seems like a very futuristic I, I, conversation I, I mean again there's disagreements in the operators because some of them say um, the business case isn't there yet and some of them say that actually there's a big technical challenges that still remain so Scott Petty who's Vodafone UK CTO was saying he doesn't think it's a business case issue he thinks that you know that they need these cloud native networks basically and that's a massive change in the way that they've um, the way that they've built yeah. networks in the past, actually taking sort of parts of the core network out and, yeah. and hosting, having those in sort of hosted on the edge, is is a real shakeup. And the systems are only just becoming ready now. So, you know, he's he's sort of saying it, it will come, but it's going to be a two or three year tech transition. Whereas other people say, well, there's just not the business case for doing it. You know, and you talk to, so Deutsche Telekom's had these trials going on in Germany with. Um, like low latency gaming, virtual reality gaming is yep, like a sort yep. of form of dodgeball, and they're doing it with a small company called Mo Mobile Ajax, which is like the middleware yeah. platform, and they've got a few data centers that they've built where they're testing it. But you ask them, how does the you know, how does the business model work here? Are the users going to pay extra for doing this, or do you take a payment perhaps from the device company because it's a good thing for them? Or mm -hmm. and they say, well, that's all, that's all up in the air at the moment. So those sorts of questions need to be kind of figured out as well. I mean, that sort of moves us on quite well to the next topic, which is the evolution of the sort of the telco. And this is, I mean, is something we we were talking about before. I was talking to Mike Dano, another another light reading colleague, uh, earlier this morning. And there seems to be a lot of telcos that are saying, you know, we need to evolve our business beyond speed being our primary business and I've heard that although it's nice to hear the frequency increase the number of times it's being said makes me think well sometimes you, you, you just got to do it yeah. you know I'm, I'm waiting to see some of these massive telcos go okay yes we have devolved our business I mean uh, we're very UK based I mean how, how is it from the American perspective are they moving beyond that idea of bigger meaner faster I don't think there's anything wrong with bigger, meaner, faster. Okay. This always, okay. This, always, this always drives me crazy when I hear the telcos talking about this stuff. It's just stay good at what you're good at. Don't, yeah. don't. Um, I guess they're worried about just becoming, you know, being commoditized. Aren't would it, would it, yeah, would that, if you, if you focus on what you're really good at, would that not see the re-emergence of the Title II, um, you know, moving them down into utility definition and more heavily regulated if they're, you know, focus purely on speed as opposed to value-added services as well, though. Commodity businesses make money. Yes. You, have to, you, you cut costs and you deliver highest quality at lowest cost and you can do it. Um, you know, the cloud providers are, are the ones who are configured for pr providing this higher level of service. And even they have to go to somebody else to provide hands-on service to enterprise customers. So even they, 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 they also have their, their, their specialization where they're not very good at service. And this, by the way, does suggest an opportunity to work together because the, yes. the telcos have the, have the relationships with the enterprises. I think, I think that, I mean, some of them seem to be happy to be commodity businesses. Yeah. You know, if you get sort of private equity coming along and, 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 and taking an interest in kind of building fiber networks or backing fiber yeah. net networks in Europe. But, a lot of the operators themselves kind of see themselves in a sexier way, don't they? They want to be, they aspire to have a content play and yeah. they, they kind of aspire to do something because because you, it's just it's just a, it's very hard to, to compete as a commodity business, yeah. isn't it? I mean, you think about insurance companies and going to something like um, comparethemarket.com and they're having to do these things like sell teddy bears along with an insurance packet just to compete yeah. and trying to attract you to that business. And the margins are really thin. I mean, you've got all, all these questions about do you really need 
this is perhaps more of an issue for Europe, but so many networks yeah, alongside so each other. Why, if they're going to go to, bit to a utility model with extremely high bandwidth technologies, then why not just have one infrastructure and have a bunch of service providers operating on that um, in, in a kind of insurance-like way, where you like, go to a portal and you can choose which yeah, I mean, one you want. Delivering, delivering bandwidth is not, is not easy. So when, when I'm suggesting, not, when I'm suggesting, when I'm suggesting focusing on that, I'm not suggesting like, these telcos are too dumb to do anything else. Yes, yeah, yeah. This is an extremely difficult problem that the telcos are specialized to deal with, yeah. and they might be well off to, to deal with that. On the other hand, I understand completely that the high profit margins and the glamour for investors is in these other things. Well, yeah. I think that is part so it's, of... It's a catch-22 that's been going on for like a decade and will probably continue going on for some time. Well, I think that's part of the reason that they're so interested in moving into this value proposition because what promises have been made to investors and you know how long will a CEO be in charge if he takes that business down the commodity routes when yeah. The promise to investors has been, we're converging, we're, we're differentiating. They're losing that battle as well, aren't they? I mean, they are becoming commodity businesses. And you've written about this a few times. Companies like Amazon Web Services now kind of entering the telco market and doing a lot of the stuff that they previously have done. And yeah, increasingly, all they have is the last mile. They just yeah. have that kind of connectivity yes, play in yes. the last mile. Well, also, so. also the core. I, I see, yeah. I, whenever I write these articles, I always use words like baby steps and might possibly. And yeah. Because they really are, you know, um, Facebook is offering... Um, a bandwidth services, I think in one sliver of Northern Virginia, if I recall correctly. This is hardly going to take over the whole world. Um, and Google and Amazon are offering connectivity to their own clouds. That's it. Yeah. Uh, these guys are very clear when I talk to them. They say, no, 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 no. We are not competing with telcos, despite the fact that we're offering the same thing as telcos do in some cases. Um, <laughs> we see telcos as partners. But I often wonder when they're going to just kind of start pushing the telcos aside or requiring yeah. them. I mean, uh, the one thing that I think does offer a glimmer of hope for the telcos is if you look at, you know, d the business of connectivity, like you said, is hard. And Google found that out, what was it, last year? I, it, I, I mean, I've stopped writing about it with the, with the Google Fiber business. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's still running in some places, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, their, their rollout was, yeah. I, think pretty, I think it's pretty fair to describe it as a disaster. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and I think that's a glimmer of hope. And where I do believe that there is some truth in the fact that they want to partner telcos because they've seen how difficult and how expensive it is to actually do the business of connectivity. But again, you know, they can just go buy them. Yeah, yeah. You know? Or hire them as, yeah. as they do for each other with the AI already. You know, they can, they can just hire telco engineers. So maybe... You know, maybe the guy who's a CTO of a telco at 5G event this year, hypothetically, goes and works for Google next year. So he's coming to speak for us again, but now he's got Google on his business card. Yeah. Maybe. I even wish I hadn't said Google, because I'm just hypothetical <laughs> here. I have no inside information on anything. Um, yeah. yeah. People will be phoning you up afterwards, Mitch. What do yeah. you know? Give yeah. me insights. No, no. I just made that up as a hypothetical, guys. It was an example. I don't... Now, now the more I'm denying it, the more the guys are... <laughs> tell, us your, tell us your source then, Mitch. Yeah, so who's um, your source? Yeah. This guy was it, I was saw... Was it Eric? <laughs> it was Eric. Yes, Eric. <laughs> um, okay, so we're on, a bit of a, we're on a bit of a schedule, so running low on time. And like I said before, it wouldn't quite be a podcast if we didn't talk about Huawei. So, a um, bit of a tricky one to actually involve all of us, because I think it was only Ian that went to the breakfast briefing this morning. Yeah. Um, so, well, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I mean, I, so they had a, 
a briefing at eight o'clock with the uh, chief security officer in the US, Andy Purdy. Uh, he's been sort of in the public eye a lot recently, um, <laughs> doing interviews. Um, and I mean, the message is very much the same. They kind of pushed this. This came out a few weeks ago when they had a, a press event in Brussels as well after they opened a new kind of cybersecurity center. Um, they're pushing a lot for this sort of introduction of more rigorous rules yeah, that apply yeah. to all vendors. You know, um, keep the security. Uh, yeah. qualifications yeah, so very high I for mean, everyone. I can't remember the name of the breakfast briefing, but it's something like Huawei, we are trustworthy. So they're obviously sort of trying to trying to push that message that they're you know they're not a they're not a security risk. They can't be uh, uh, they, they can't be confused with being obscure here. No, <laughs> no. Um, and um, you know there's obviously this big a lot of these concerns going on still at the moment um, where, where the US is is trying to sort of put pressure on um, some European countries and, and operators not to not to use Huawei gear in their networks because they kind of view it as a you know potential sort of conduit for Chinese spying. Um, and you know Huawei, Huawei's response really is based. I mean, you've been involved in this, Jamie. Yeah, kind of yeah. doing a lot of doing a lot of work with journalists to try and get the message out there that they're trustworthy, but also trying to promote this idea of a, a, a kind of system of. of, of um, like a sort of security regime where you'd have testing centers that test not only their equipment, but also equipment from Ericsson and Nokia. Like the, like the yeah, and if they can get that sort of government approved, and there's sort of things happening in Germany now apparently to move towards that sort of approach. So if they can get, if they, if they can get that backed in, in Europe and have the US go, well, okay, that's, that's something we're quite happy with, then the next step would be to try and maybe introduce that kind of system in the US and defend what existing business they have here. Well, they, I mean, this is the thing, they don't have they got they got minor pockets with I think yeah. some yeah. very very regionalized and even local maybe they, maybe they I wouldn't even call them regionalized yeah they're yeah, really just even small. smaller yeah. than maybe, that. maybe yeah. the long term objective this wasn't asked and like thinking about it now maybe I should have asked at the briefing but maybe the long term objective is this is a way potentially back into the you know back, back into people's networks and people like Sprint and T-Mobile and AT&T if they can have the U.S. administration go well we're quite happy with this kind of. Uh, approach that you suggested. Let's get that up and running, and then there's an opportunity for you to compete. But obviously, it's all the chances of that happening. I think are so slim, and, and they didn't seem to realise that um, they're, they're running around doing all this. At the same time, there's stories in the, in the news all the time about uh, U.S. resistance to some of the stuff that's going on in Europe. I mean, apparently, you know, Mike Pompeo's. No, he's in, a, he's in Iran at the moment. Yeah. He's in Iran at the yeah, moment. He's in Iran but, at the but, moment. But trying to put pressure on thing on the U.K. Isn't you know, if you read. Um, Sort of main news outlets. It seems like that he's him and some other U.S. officials aren't very happy about this this approach that the U.K.'s come up with. Where they've well, said, the, this is Lord the leak that came out last week with Gavin, yeah, Gavin and Williamson. And it seems accurate because Huawei, Huawei brought this up today, so it seems like it is fairly accurate that you can't sort of use Huawei in you know um, parts of the network, but you can use it in other areas, and you need to have some kind of balance of suppliers. And so, from from the U.S. perspective, how much of this argument is coming across here? Like, are you, are you aware of you know, the, the, U, the UK or the European approach to Huawei, because obviously it's a very, very much on the opposite end of the scale. The well, I, I'm, I'm aware of it because I read it? this yes, guy. Yes. Um, I don't... Or how, uh, how, how aware are people of it, if well, that makes sense? The, uh, people within the industry, I think it's kind of a settled issue within the industry. I don't hear really any US car carriers expressing a desire to work with Huawei. Interesting. And I don't think that's because they have any particular hostility to Huawei. It's just because it's not on the radar. Yeah. They haven't been... Well, they've, they've got, got used yeah. to working with Ericsson, Nokia, yeah. Samsung, whoever it's going to be. Yeah. It's the same um, thing if you came along. It's the along, quo, isn't it? It's the yeah, same American, They don't want to replace all the equipment they've built out. It's the same yeah. reason that European yeah. operators don't want to swap out Huawei. You know? Yeah, yeah. So you, 
and they, they, they don't have Huawei salespeople coming to call, their, their internal people aren't asking to use Huawei, so that's not an issue. You said the people, you mean, and like regular people, they yeah, don't even know about. Mass, mass market people in the industry. Yeah, America, Americans don't even know who Huawei is. Yeah. Because their stuff isn't really significantly for sale here. You can't buy it, you can't really, I don't know anybody who has a Huawei phone that the people oh, I know. Oh, I got one. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's become, it's become, um, it, you know, in the UK where Jamie and I are based, it's become a front page yeah. you know, news story. Yeah, it's it's like the Huawei's, BBC on the it's on the BBC, page, it's on the Times. Um, so their, their brand all of a sudden is very well known just yeah, for the well, wrong reasons. All right, so you, you, ex you expressed bafflement as to why Huawei is pushing this so hard. And I think I could, we can point to two reasons. First of all, the US is still a big market. Yeah. Anything yeah, yeah, they can, yeah. any, they, they, they can move that lever, uh, yeah. uh, a next administration maybe is more friendly to them. Um, the other thing is the US, is, is exerts an enormous amount of global influence. Yeah, um, I think one of the reasons it's such a big deal in in the UK is that if, if what's the status of Brexit this this afternoon? Uh, um, it's been pushed back to October. <laughs> it's been pushed back. Okay, a couple all right. Months, so yeah. you know, you guys are going to be possibly looking to get a lot closer to the US. Yeah, yeah. And um, financially and intelligence-wise yeah. as well. Yeah and, yeah, and 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 the powers that be may see Huawei well, it, is an easy bone to throw to I mean, this Washington. Is, this is one of the uh, levers that the US has used, hasn't it? It's kind of yeah. because the because the UK is a part of that sort of um, five up five. Was it? Five yeah. Eyes. Five Eyes, yeah, yeah the so global, intelligence global intelligence community. community. Yeah. Then they've sort of said, well, we're not, we're not going to share intelligence with you unless you do what we want you to, and that, that basically means not using well, I think it's, it's basically the UK that's the only one that's resisting from the Five Eyes now, isn't it? Because it's Aust Canada. Australia. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're playing so Canada. Australia's going along with it, or is it Australia bans Huawei from all 5G. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 5G. Um, yeah. The UK's got this report coming out soon where they've. They've basically said that you can have Huawei in some areas, but not others. Yeah, yeah. New, uh, New Zealand haven't officially made a stance, but no. they're regulated to turn down. What, uh, what's it, one of the operators one of their operators, applied yeah. to use Huawei equipment, and they basically got told by the regulator they couldn't do it. So, yeah, uh, my, my sense is that the US, US success in this has been limited, and by and large it's been a case of kind of holding, holding the line on buying new, new Huawei equipment and on parts of the network. Yeah. But this could flip rapidly, and if it does, it would be very bad for Huawei. Um, yeah. So yeah. It, it makes sense for them to be pushing back on it. I mean, I think the thing, the, the reason I'm slightly, not baffled maybe the wrong word, but um, Jamie and I have talked about this a lot. What's the real reason for the US, um, you know, concern about Huawei? And, you know, is it is it seriously that there could be back doors in, in the company's equipment? It doesn't seem very credible to me because so many, I mean, Huawei it makes this point, and it's a valid point, that so much equipment comes from China, mm -hmm. from companies that aren't Chinese. You know, Nokia has, manufactures a lot in China, Ericsson manufactures a lot in China. So There's Apple, Chinese, Chinese components. Chinese components, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Chinese government, if it wanted to, to do that, to install back doors, it, it would have a number of avenues to be able to do it. It wouldn't yeah. need to go through Huawei. And I think the real thing is that the US just doesn't like its it's, it's, it's a power struggle, isn't it? It's, it's power part, struggle, it's a part politically of the Chinese and economically. US power struggle. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the that's the kind of broader context. And I'm I'm sure Huawei must be aware of that as well. They're not stupid people, obviously. So I this mean, pushing this security thing is it really going to get them that far? If that's the real reason for. I mean, I think the UK is going to be one of the defining, like you said, for the for this Brexit. Very, very much a Brexit reason. You know, we are leaving the union. We're going to need some stronger. Uh, trade relationships further afield and I think yeah. this could be a defining battlefield because the rest of Europe look like they're siding with Huawei so yeah. shifting you know shifting the UK could have 
um, somewhat, of a, somewhat of a knock-on effect to other, other allies in the Union. So, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah, I, I'm baffled by it too. I don't, you, you don't even need to have any hardware bugs to, 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 to spy on people. You can do it just fine. Exactly. If you're, you know. yeah. But the thing is, uh, everyone spies on everyone. Yeah, that's true. The, yeah, the yeah. US, the UK, France, Germany, Australia, they we're all bloody spying on each other. So, you know, just a single out Chinese espionage, I think, is, uh, is a, bit of a, uh, bit of a bit of a weak reasoning. Everyone can see through it, I think. Yeah. I don't, see, I don't see through it because I don't see what's at the bottom of it. Um, is it, and I'll say it here, is it racism? Is that it? Well, I, kind of this anti, I don't know. Maybe. I'm just, I'm flailing here. I don't see a logic to it. I mean, poli well, political difference is a massive one as well. It's part of a trade war. Ideological. China, yeah. That's where it fits in. Uh, China is a, you know, it's, it's a, it's the country that the US has decided it's probably going to have a war with in the next few years. No, we're having a war with, I think it's Iran first and then Venezuela. <laughs> then China. Then China after that. You have, to, the, the, you have to take a number. You have to take a number. I think, you, I think you've hit on it. It's not racism per se, but it's this idea that China is the one country that's a trade rival to the US that is not also within the US sphere of influence. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, Ideologically, yeah. they're incredibly different. Yeah. It's, it's not even an ideology thing. It's like the US, the US says, don't do business with Iran. And everybody else says, okay, we won't do business with Iran. And China says, we're going to do business with Iran. But it, it ties in with all these, this stuff about the, I mean, the things we've just been talking about, 5G. If 5G is, does turn out to be as important as everybody um, is hoping. And it does, it does um, support artificial intelligence and you know, yeah. so these are the trendy applications, then it's going to be absolutely vital for economic growth and prosperity. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the companies that control that technology and, the, yeah. and that get a lead in it. Well, I think the, the evidence of that in the 4G market is in, um, is in California. You know, you've got like some Uber, of Uber yeah. you've got some of the biggest, most yeah. influential companies on the planet, which yeah. grew to that stage because of 4G and yeah. mobile connectivity. And that's why they're worried about falling behind China. And I think, well, I think the, the, the sort of anti-Huawei thing kind of fits into that narrative to some extent. Yeah, I mean, is it, is it um, but here's another possibility that should also be of concern. If, as I believe you have written, there is evidence to suggest that Huawei is a generation ahead of Ericsson and, and, and Nokia and those guys on 5G equipment, then denying American service providers access to Huawei equipment hurts American yeah. competitiveness on the global market. Yeah. I, think, I think it's generally accepted that, especially on the radio side and in some parts of the, sort of the transmission part of the network, Huawei is the market leader. So yeah, yeah so it is, it is a bit of, you know, get the nose spite the face. Um, it, it, you know, it, how much damage there is in the long run. Yeah. I it's very difficult to compare though, because Huawei isn't in the 4G networks and 4G still fueled this massive economic growth in the US. So how do you compare it? But it is, it is a tricky one. And yeah, it might come back and it might prove to be really negative. Yeah. So yeah, there we are. And on that bombshell. Yeah, let's all be a downer now. We have a low we, blood sugar, we're depressed. It's, it's, it's one o'clock, it's lunchtime. Yeah. Mitch has got more videos to do. Ian's got more videos to do. I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go back to the hotel. Okay. Um, nap, yeah. nap, nap time for Jamie. Basically. <laughs> um, thanks very much, and we'll be back uh, next week.